Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music, the tall tales, true stories, and current goings-on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter and swim buck-naked in summer. Welcome to episode 45 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom and Pam Rader along with the rest of the crew. Happy holidays, Dave. Happy holidays, Pam. So where does the show begin? Well, we begin with the Brown County sing-along. Kara Barnard, Chuck Wills, and Carrie Ray are our musical guests this month, and we'll talk about this event and listen to a live performance recorded right here in our studio. I think we have a full lineup this month. We're pleased to share our conversations with Patricia Cronkey, Larry Peugeot, and an essay from you, Dave, as well as pieces from Jeff Tryon and Rick Fettig. We also have the latest for a song from Carrie Ray. So let's get on with it. In our first segment, we begin by interviewing Carrie Ray, Kara Barnard, and Chuck Wills as they tell us about the Brown County Christmas sing-along, and we'll hear Blue Christmas performed live in our studio. We'll also hear the latest My Brown County from Jeff Tryon. This month, he shares his views on forest preservation. Chuck Wills in the studio today and it's Christmas in Brown County and they have a special event that they're going to talk about. We do. Um, we've got a, a wonderful event coming up on Saturday, December 12th. Uh, the show starts at 7.30, doors open at 7. And this is going to be our fifth year for our Brown County Christmas sing-along event uh, in which we invite the entire community to come out and behave in any silly way that they want and sing Christmas songs with us all night long. So if you can sing, fine. If you can't, you can just... We don't care. Yeah, you, you don't care. You, we don't care. You can, um, you can mime. Mime. You can dance. You can draw pictures of the Christmas songs as we sing them. <laughs> Interpretive dances. Interpretive yeah, dances. dances. Mm -hmm. I like that. All is highly encouraged. Yeah. Uh -huh. Anything goes. Yeah. It's about having a good time. Sort of a reindeer rendezvous then. 
That's right. If you will. So you're in a new location this year. We are. We're really, really excited about that. We're going to go back to the Brown County Inn, uh, which is where I used to participate in all the Slats Clue Christmas shows. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going to feel more like uh, coming home. Well, the new owners have done such a fine job of the place. They're doing a wonderful job. Yeah. Well, so talk about what do you do? I mean, it's a sing-along. Obviously, that's part of it. But Well, it's, like you said, a sing-along, but it's great music. And all three of us play guitar and, and various other instruments. And it's just sort of a celebration of the holiday music, uh, a lot of jokes, prizes, pulling up audience members to do the 12 Days of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always fun. So there's yeah. always a little public shaming involved then. As, mu- as much <laughs> as possible. As much yeah. as possible. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah it's amazing how nice our friends are to us about a month prior to the show. You know? <laughs> it's, it's true. Uh-huh. I, hadn't, I hadn't noticed that, but I hadn't put it together. <laughs> yeah. but we, it makes uh, sense to me. Yeah, yeah. But we invite people up to the stage and we ask Christmas trivia questions. And if answered correctly, they, they get a, a present. Fabulous Christmas, prizes. Christmas trivia. That's, that's a very interesting interesting idea. Um, uh, share one little trivia tidbit with us. Um, let's see. Uh, there, were, there was a white Christmas trivia question regarding why the Haynes sisters, why they were running from the from the law. I think it was something mm-hmm. to do with, with that. Yeah. Wow. So, so it's, a, it's really important if you're coming to the show probably to brush up yeah. on all the holiday movies, you know, all you're the gonna, favorites. You're going to need that in-depth in Christmas knowledge that so many of us have slacked off on. Well, each of us comes up with our own trivia questions. Yes. And uh, so mine are always about my favorite Christmas movies. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we we each create our own prizes uh, for those that answer the the questions. There's a lot of crafting that goes on. A lot of glitter and glue. Christmas tattoos. Not so much. Not so much. But But we make things. We like handmade things. So our... Giveaways usually are either hand-created or hand-collected, shall we say. And they're always, it's kind of always fun. Oftentimes, we don't even let each other know what our special prize will be. That's the um, most fun part. Yeah, it's a surprise for everyone. I mean, basically, the, the whole point of this was to bring the community together, to spend time together, uh, which is one of the things that Brown County folks are great at anyway, mm-hmm. is is actually spending real time with each other. And we're like, let's get together and let's help kick off folks' holidays by doing what we all love to do at Christmas time, or certainly we do, which is sit around and crack jokes and tease each other and play music and sing songs together. And so basically we're just doing something we love and inviting everybody to join us to do it. Well, so this is completely a family-friendly event. Totally family-friendly, yeah. 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 Bring your kids, bring everything. Absolutely. Kara brings her dog. You know, uh, every year uh, my dog Lucy has been on stage with us just quietly sleeping. This year, last year was Lucy's last show. Lucy's going to stay home and and keep the fireplace going at home this year. Oh, that's that's good. You know, and I'm glad we mentioned it because people will be disappointed. But Lucy's, Lucy's of an age now where she needs to probably just rest. Well, I'm pretty sure... Uh, none of my dogs would belong on stage with you guys. Yeah. Well, she's she's that. easing into retirement, and let's she is. let's be honest, the cats really can't be trusted to no, be home alone no, no, anymore. No, no. no I, I because I, I you know I now have twenty seven house cats. So <laughs> you you're almost to like so crazy you, cat lady status. You, I know you, you've been working you on it. You can count twenty seven cats. They yeah. stay still long enough that you know. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Though I'm not married, I always say you you should just be one cat away from a divorce. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, this sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if I want more information, where should I go to get it? The website, browncountychristmas.com. There you go. Yeah. And I assume Rudolph, Santa Claus, uh, you never know who might make, elves might make an appearance. You never never know who's going to make an appearance, really. Uh, Well, David Sedaris was always my favorite elf, but that's another story. (laughs) Not surprising. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in. Love the music. Now I'm all feeling holiday and stuff, and I'm uh, hoping our listeners are yeah. feeling the same way. We, we hope they, everybody comes out to join us. It, it's way too much fun. It sounds like it. Thank you again so much. We'll see you there. I have a blue Christmas without you. I'll be so blue.
This is My Brown County with Jeff Tryon. The more I thought about what really makes Brown County Brown County, the more I began to realize how we each have our own particular Brown County. In a way, Brown County is what we each bring to it, what we find there for our own, what we each make of it. No one else sees it probably in the same exact way that I do. That's what makes it my Brown County. Everybody's forest, the trees we own in common. Only God can make a tree, but apparently after that, old God needs the Department of Natural Resources to show him how a forest should be managed. Step back, God. Let me show you how it's done. a fundamentally different philosophical view of the forest than the Department of Natural Resources, the logging and wood products industry, and all their associated bureaucratic apparatus. They look at a tree and all they can see is bored feet. They send them up there to Purdue or wherever and they teach them that a forest is just a farm where we grow trees instead of corn. They learn that a forest that isn't managed is wasted. A travesty, really, when all that good money could be wrung out of it just by aggressively cutting it, reshaping it, bending nature to mankind's will. And these folks just don't seem to be able to see it in any other way. An unmanaged forest is a wasted forest. And managing it means cutting down the trees whenever they get big enough to get a few dollars out of and romping and stomping over anything else that happens to get in the way of that. The fact is, a relatively small proportion of timber harvested in Indiana comes from public lands, I think something around 10%. The rest of the magnificent hardwoods that feed the timber and lumber and wood products industries locally come from privately held lands. About 20% of the state, about 4.7 million acres of Indiana is forest land, that's about 2.2 billion trees. 86% of that is owned by private citizens or corporations. And that's fine. Those are their trees, their force, and they can do with them as they please. They can cut them down for money or preserve them for posterity. That's their right as owners, right? But now the 10% or whatever it is, the publicly owned forest, that is a different matter altogether. Now we're talking about the trees we own in common. Not any one person's trees, but everybody's trees. Here's my thing. I'm not advocating that we never cut another tree in Indiana. I'm advocating setting aside a very small portion of the public lands, the lands we the people own in common, share together, that at least some of this land should be just left the way it is and let to go back the way God intended, the way it was when the pioneers arrived. I've got an idea. Let's put it to a vote. Let's have a statewide binding referendum on whether or not we, the people of Indiana, want to set aside certain state parks and forests to be non-managed forests, to be free-range, back-to-the-wild, free-willy forests that we don't log at all or build roads into or interfere with in any other human way. How would that be? This is 
public, taxpayer-owned land that the people own in common, but it seems it is being operated exclusively for the benefit of the tree cutters and the timber barons at the behest of a bunch of pseudo-educated industry flacks who literally cannot see the forest for the trees. A forest is a magical thing. You cannot put a price on it. You cannot measure its worth except by taking a long day there and learning what it is worth to you. This incredible, massive, spectacular, uniquely diverse climax hardwood forest that dominates the southern half of the state, rambling over an equally unique topographical landscape from here to the Ohio River and beyond, is a national treasure as surely as the Grand Canyon or the Yellowstone Park. It is North America's rainforest. It is incomparable in its diversity and beauty. If you come from other parts of the country or the world, you don't really see something like it every day. Up north, out west, in Canada, there are endless acres of forests, mostly fir trees. You don't get the hardwoods like you do here. You don't get the spectacular diversity of hundreds of different tree species within your gaze along your short walk. 95% of Indiana's 4.7 million acres of forest is hardwood forest, 3.4 million acres of oak and hickory alone. You know, there's some species of plants and animals that can only live and thrive in deep forest, in wild, natural, unmanaged forest, huge tracts of it, not little postage stamps here and there that were just too hard to log, so we made a preserve out of it. Isn't this the intent of the original parks movement? of John Muir and Richard Lieber and Teddy by God Roosevelt to set aside and preserve some lands as they were to keep them in their pristine form for future generations. If that's your idea of what parks and public lands are all about, you are being badly used by your government because their view is that public lands are a resource to be exploited for money. Nothing magical about that. Imagine how it was when those first pioneers came into Brown County. Indiana was 90% forested with old-growth virgin timber. Brown County was thickly covered with trees described as more than six feet in diameter, and their leafy tops were so interlaced that the sun never struck the ground. Pioneer settlers described tall trees that covered the whole country with their wide-spreading branches descending to the ground and the shrubbery below rose and united with the branches of the trees. You've never seen anything like it. None of us has. They say there's a little hank of virgin timber down there in Spring Mill State Park, but it's not enough so as you would notice. A 1995 study by George Parker concluded that much of the present-day forest land in the central hardwood region was greatly disturbed by poor land use practices on its steeper topography. So the woods we see today aren't really like the big woods that the pioneers found here. Instead, Parker wrote, the forests of today represent the culled-over remains of once magnificent forests and will continue to bear the scars of his mismanagement well into the future. In a heartbreaking turn of events, most of what is now the Brown County State Park had not been logged when Lieber first attempted to buy it for the newly created state park system. But the sellers hesitated, Lieber moved on to McCormick's Creek, and then the land was logged, only later being sold as the core holding of today's Brown County State Park, the crown jewel of the Indiana State Park system. Just imagine 
if all or most of the Brown County State Park were still virgin timber. Now that would be something to see. It's something we'll never see. Even if we start right now letting some of our parks and state lands revert to their natural state, we would never live long enough to see what that is like. That will take hundreds and hundreds and, and maybe thousands of years. But wouldn't that be a great legacy to leave to our children's children's children? I think we can afford to do that. Now we pause for station identification. Support for WFHB and the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Larry Pujol from the Community Foundation discusses the Match Money initiative they've launched. The Community Foundation has been a true friend of the Brown County Hour, and it's our pleasure to share this new program. We have the latest for a song from Carrie Ray, and we'll hear another tune from the Brown County Sing Along. Uh, my name is Larry Peugeot. I'm the CEO of the Brown County Community Foundation and uh, proud to be in that chair. I've been there about three years. Community foundations are pretty interesting animals here in Indiana. Indiana has more community foundations than any state in the United States. That's mostly because of a great corporate partner we have here in Indiana, uh, Lily. And Lily has an endowment, the Lily Endowment. And over the years, they've been giving money away to Indiana in various causes. And in the early 90s, they started thinking that it was very difficult for them to figure out how to use their philanthropic dollars to support local communities. So they came up with the concept of starting local foundations. They came up with a campaign called GIFT, which stands for Giving Indiana Funds for Tomorrow. And the first GIFT program offered any county in Indiana that could raise a million dollars, they would match that million dollars. And lo and behold, five or six counties thought they could do it, and they did, and Lily gave them the money. And other counties jumped on board. And in 1993, Brown County, a group of people in Brown County, Ruth Reichman, Del Newkirk, a number of other people in, in town saw this opportunity and said, we need to do this. We're missing an opportunity here. And they got together and they raised some money and uh, they applied for the, the option to be a community foundation. They raised the money and Lily matched it. And that's how the community foundation started. As I said, over the years, all 92 counties in Indiana have opened foundations. Lily, late last year, came out with Gift 6, the sixth round of the program. And they, it was based on population and they gave uh, up to $2 million dollars. Uh, Brown County, uh, the size that it is, 15,000 people, we were given a grant for a half a million dollars. I think 67 counties in Indiana got a half million dollars. Every county uh, got it. Indianapolis, Marion County got two million. Monroe County got a million. But we got a grant for a million dollars. Half of that money could be used for discretionary causes at the foundation's will. 
Uh, we went out and approached some different 501c3s that had projects going on and decided to uh, give some money to Project Helping Hands, which was a collaborative effort by uh, Mother's Cupboard and Habitat for Humanity to build a new food pantry in town. Uh, we gave them a $75,000 grant to use as incentive to raise money. That part of the, of the Gift 6 program for community projects, Lily would match 50 cents on the dollar. So every $2 they raised, uh, Lily would match it a dollar. They raised $350,000 fairly quickly. The building is up and they're now serving meals. Uh, we give $25,000 to the Brown County Art Gallery. They've just completed a $2 million renovation of their building. And we're really proud to be part of that. The other half of the Gift 6 program, the $250,000, had to be put into the Brown County Community Foundation's Community Grants Fund. We grant out money every single year to 501c3s, to community projects, to school corporations, uh, to any charitable cause that's going on in Brown County. We have a grants committee that takes applications in, and it's a competitive cycle, and we grant money out, or we proactively identify a cause in the county, and we grant money towards that. This year, we, um, we gave about $100,000 to local community projects, and we granted $50,000 to the local Brown County school system for preschool scholarships for kids on free and reduced lunch. Uh, I'm sorry to say that only addressed about 25% of the need, but that's 25% of the need that we're addressing now, so I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. The foundation, uh, we, have, we have an endowment, and that's how we, we grant our, our money out. Over the years, different people have come in and opened endowments at the foundation. We have 150 funds. Some of those funds were started by individuals that like a certain cause in the county, be it the uh, Humane Society, Boys and Girls Club, uh, the YMCA. Uh, they can open an endowment to support that cause. Um, the money comes into the foundation, actually belongs to the foundation. We're the stewards of that fund. We guarantee that we'll protect the historic dollars of that fund, and we will grant the earnings out to the organization that the donor designated. Uh, since inception, Brown County Community Foundation has given over $10 million back to Brown County. I don't think people uh, realize that we only have an endowment of eight and a half million dollars. How did we do that? It's magic. Some of that money has come from earnings and some of that money has come from Lilly. A big part of the money is Lilly money. We got a half million dollars. Uh, the CRC is a part of, a, of a, one of the gift programs. Uh, the foundation has, a, has two endowments from gift six, uh, totaling about a million and a half dollars. The payout from that fund helps support the CRC every single year. So again, on a, um, how, do we, how do we decide how much we're, we're going to pay out? How do we operate? The way we operate is we charge fund fees anywhere from one and a half percent to 2% of the endowment value. So every fund gets charged a certain fee and that fee is charged uh, monthly. So if you charged 1.5%, we charge 1 12th of 1.5% every month on the balance of, of that fund. Uh, my job is to grow that fund as much as possible. Obviously the foundation uh, wouldn't exist if we didn't charge some fees. But the sole purpose we're really there is to try and support the community. Our mission is to, uh, we imagine a better Brown County through philanthropy, and we try and attract that philanthropy, be it for an individual cause, be it for our unrestricted fund that we're trying to grow with Gift 6 uh, so that we can give out more, more grants. Uh, but really, we're, I like to refer to the foundation as the community chest. We're here to support the county, and we're here to support the county forever. And as I like to say, forever is a long, long time. We're a small county, 15,000 people. We just raised $2 million, helped raise $2 million for the art gallery. We just raised to help raise $350,000 for Project Helping Hands. Now I'm going back to some of those same people saying, hey, the foundation needs to raise $250,000 to grow our community grants program. I think we have donor fatigue in this county, and understandably so. So I've come up with, with a program that um, is 
been pretty successful so far. I went to a couple of charitable foundations and I got some uh, sizable donations and I have some internal match money. So right now our policy states that to open a named endowment, you have to have at least $5,000. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight that for a donation of $1,250, you can open a named endowment that will support caring and sharing in Brown County forever. And how do we do that? Well, somebody gives me $1,250, thank you very much. I match that internally with $1,250 that I've raised from these charitable foundations. And I raise that money and those charitable foundations know that I'm using these funds in that way. There I have $2,500. Then I turn around and I put that money in the Give 6 account and Lily matches that dollar for dollar. That's $5,000. So all you have to do is give me the name that you want on that fund and that person's name will be recognized with giving in Brown County forever. Uh, so far, we've opened 12 of those named funds, and I hope I can open many more. The Obviously, when I run out of that money from the charitable foundations, I won't be able to make that match. But I do have enough that people are generous. We'll hit that $250,000 mark, and hopefully we'll hit it by the end of the year. So um, I'm here to ask people to support the Community Foundation. It's not about me. It's not about our board. It's about Brown County. So come help the foundation. Help Brown County forever. Carrie Ray, welcome to Forest Song. Recently, the band and I participated in a fundraiser called Tonic Ball, which brings musicians together to raise money for Second Helpings of Indiana. The idea is to put on a show where acts take the stage to play two songs by one of the featured artists for that year. The first tonic was at Radio Radio in Indianapolis's Fountain Square and covered the music of Graham Parsons. Now in its 14th year, the event takes place across four venues covering four distinct artists. This year, we were chosen to cover Tina Turner. Now, to those of you familiar with my vibe, Miss Turner's songbook might not seem to fall naturally into my wheelhouse. Especially not her pop tunes from the 80s. But here's the thing. As we've discussed before, good songs can translate across genres. So we took the basic melody and arrangement of the two tunes, and from there, turned them on their heads. The end result sounded more like Bruce Springsteen than Tina, but worked for us, and by all accounts, the audience. Now, some original artists will thumb their nose at playing covers, and yes, I do generally prefer to play my own music. But this is the third time I've participated in Tonic, and additionally, playing shows around the region, I always add some cover tunes to the mix. That's especially helpful when you're trying to hold on to a crowd of newbies for a three-hour stretch. But it's not just about time filler and marquee value. There's creative value in playing the songs of other folks. In a recent installment, I talked a little about the value of listening critically to the music of other artists. And I'm here to tell you that the value you can glean from that exercise is increased exponentially when you charge yourself with learning, or better yet, reinterpreting those songs. And I'm not alone in thinking so. Earlier this year, when presented with his Music Cares Person of the Year Award, Bob Dylan gave a 30-minute acceptance speech that was the talk of the entire music community for weeks. It's a great read. And I'll include a link to the entire speech on the Forest Song page at carryray.com. 
He covers a lot of ground and names names relative to his early career. But besides an overreaching, if unspoken, theme of the importance of believing in and staying true to oneself, the other big takeaway for me was his comments on this very subject. Here's a bit of what he had to say about his songs. These songs didn't come out of thin air. I didn't just make them up out of a whole cloth. Contrary to what Lou Levy said, there was a precedent. It all came out of traditional music, traditional folk music, traditional rock and roll, and traditional big band swing orchestra music. I learned lyrics and how to write them from listening to folk songs, and I played them, and I met other people that played them back when nobody was doing it, sang nothing but these folk songs, and they gave me the code for everything that's fair game, that everything belongs to everyone. For three or four years, I, all I listened to were folk standards. I went to sleep singing folk songs. I sang them everywhere. Clubs, parties, bars, coffee houses, fields, festivals. And I met other singers along the way who did the same thing. And we just learned songs from each other. I could learn one song and sing it next in an hour if I'd heard it just once. If you sang John Henry as many times as me, John Henry was a steel-driving man, died with a hammer in his hand. John Henry said, a man ain't nothing but a man. Before I let that steam drill drive me down, I'll die with that hammer in my hand. If you had sung that song as many times as I did, you'd have written, how many roads must a man walk down to? He goes on to quote other songs and references them to his originals. Traditional folk songs were his thing, and so that became part of his lexicon. It's traditional country and blues that do it for me. And I learn and play these songs, sometimes to perform them and sometimes just for me. And they undoubtedly influence my work, as do songs from other genres and contemporary artists whose work I respect. So don't be too self-important to pick up a fake book or grab some charts or tabs from the vast collection on the interwebs. Don't rob yourself of the education and perspective that learning these songs will provide. Play classics. Play standards, play blues, jazz, country, and pop. Play them as they were recorded, then figure out what they might sound like with your own spin on them. And finally, see what new cloth you might weave from familiar thread. I'm Carrie Ray. Join me next time on For a Song. If you have ideas, questions, or topics you would like to have covered on For a Song, please send them along. You can reach me via the contact page of my website, carryray.com. That's C-A-R-I-R-A-Y dot com. Thanks for listening.
Now we pause for station identification. Support for WFHB in the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. In the last portion of the show, We'll hear a discussion from Patricia Cronkey about the college preparedness program she's involved with. Rick Fettig shares some of his thoughts, and we'll have another essay from Dave Seastrom. We'll close the show with a Christmas carol from the Brown County Sing Along. This is Carrie Ray, and I'm here with Patricia Cronkey, uh, who is the president of the Brown County Literacy Coalition, uh, also a member of the Community Foundation Scholarship Committee, and really someone who has a passion for helping the youth of the county, uh, really and beyond, uh, prepare themselves for what's next in life. So, Patricia, if you would, give us a little bit about your background, and maybe that'll help people understand where your passion is and, and the value that you're trying to bring to our kids. Sure. Um, I was a, an assistant director of admissions at Rutgers University for about 10 years and a dean of admissions in, a, in the Vermont State College system, which is actually, Vermont in many ways is very similar to this area. And I was involved with some research there called Project Compass with Brandeis University, studying students very similar to ours here. Uh, and why they succeed in college and why they don't succeed in college, why they go to college, why they don't go to college, and so on and so forth. And it was really, it was an interesting experience. So when I moved here, for completely unrelated reasons, uh, just to be closer to family, I decided, you know, I have all this knowledge. I have this incredible knowledge base about college, and I do a lot of college consulting, for students from all over the world, you know, China, Venezuela, Thailand. Well, you uh, are you are a, a partner in a, a particular organization, correct? Relative yes. to that, and what, yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Global College Search Associates. My business partner, uh, Bruce Niemeyer, is in Chicago. We were colleagues at Rutgers, and we decided that we needed to bring this kind of expertise to the middle class. People who are, come from privileged backgrounds can afford to throw a lot of money at their school districts, at, uh, you know, at SAT coaches and tutors and that kind of thing. But communities like this really can't do that. And so what we're interested in is helping, figuring out how to help students like those here, you know, how can we bring this to these different populations? So with our, our, our expertise and our background, 
in so many different areas. I mean, working with some of the, you know, the top students in the world, some of the most elite programs in the world, to really just, you know, rural kids right off the farm. This whole range. Uh, I remember uh, once when I was at Rutgers that a, a sheik actually pulled up in this long limo with his, his kid, right? You know, I mean, all kinds of interesting experiences like that. But the bottom line is that they're all kids. It doesn't matter whether it's a sheik's son or whether it is a kid coming in kicking the boot the, the dirt off his boots coming in off the farm in the morning here they are all the same to me uh, I've seen kids through in so many circumstances I've seen the top kids with perfect SAT scores and you know you know perfect academic records come in get into college and just completely fail because everything's been done for them and they don't have coping skills they don't know how to deal with the social life they don't know how to deal with the academics they don't know how to deal with the rigor I've also seen kids Kids like a lot of our students find their way into a college and go gangbusters. Mm -hmm. So that's always been really interesting to me. But the bottom line is always, who is this young person? Who is this young person who maybe doesn't even know that they have dreams? Or that the dream that they have is something. It's a thing, you know. Um, one of the students at the school had a dream to be Dr. Dre, right? You want to be Dr. <laughs> this this rural kid wants to be Dr. Dre. And I said to him, I said, "Well, you know, Dr. Dre came up his own way. But let's take a look at this." And in 20 minutes, I had a complete path mapped out for him of everything that he needed to do to be mm -hmm. able to essentially get into the USC uh, School of Music Production, which is uh, being funded by Dr. Dre and Jimmy <laughs> Iovine. Is that how you say his name? I don't know how yeah, you say his name. Iovine. Um, so we had a whole pathway mapped out. I mean, he was like, really? Yeah. I said, absolutely. Why not? So it's so it sounds like it's a little bit about not just helping uh, kids sort of clarify maybe what their dream is, but helping figure out how to connect the dots to get themselves on the right path. I mean, I can I can relate to that. I was probably way closer to the the kid who was kicking the dirt off their boots or you know washing <laughs> their bare feet. Actually, was a little better <laughs> for me. And I know for me, I I sort of happened to uh, serendipitously stumble into a liberal arts education, uh, which ended up being perfect for me. I'm really grateful, but it would have been great to to have found that on purpose, which I think with a little more guidance, perhaps I would have been able to do. Um, but I, I think that that's probably, I, I think there's a lot of parents that I talk to that, you know, they, they love their kids and they, they want to help their kids and help their kids find their way, but they don't really have the tools either. So uh, tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've been doing um, uh, yourself to help. And then maybe too, for some of our listeners, what what things they can be doing to help themselves or, or their kids. One of the things that I, that I do right away, and it's been a real joy for me here, is just talking to young people and being sort of cool enough. You know, I lived in Manhattan for 10 years and <laughs> I used to go to London every Thanksgiving. You know, stuff like that. That I've been out. I've gotten out of here. And um, for students to understand that that the only limitations they really have is their mind. Who are you really inside? Who do you want to be? What you know? When you take away all of the extraneous, you know, your your parents talking at you, your teachers telling you you need to do this and that and the other thing, you know, your sisters are yelling at you, your, you know, your friends are saying, no, you can't do this because of whatever. When you kind of clear all that away, what 
what are you left with? You know, what does your own heartbeat sound like? And that's something that I work really hard with students. And that, that's really the first place. That, that's really honestly the first place you have to start. If you can communicate and you can understand the world and you can understand history and the way that people think and the way that people relate and how they struggle and what their what the human condition is and how you relate to it, you're going to be able to transfer that into any kind of um, any kind of vocation as you go along, as you go along in your education, however you decide to move forward. So it sounds like a lot of what you talk about is about what's possible. Yeah. Or the idea that anything is possible. Anything's possible. Well, Patricia, I really appreciate you uh, being here with us today. These are some great uh, ideas for us to, to kind of think about in ways that we can encourage kids and uh, kind of prepare them for what's what's next out there in the big world. <laughs> and uh, so thanks again for being here and uh, for sharing your thoughts with us. Oh, my pleasure. This is Rick Fettig with the Brown County Hour. And I want you to stop for a minute. Stop and think. Do you find yourself suffering? Suffering from TV fatigue? Are you getting out dramaed by all the drama? Tense background music? Guns or blood, or at least a serious facial expression within the first 15 seconds of viewing? Are you feeling lifeless and listless? With no mind of your own. The only time you laugh is when you're prompted by a laugh track. The only time you get excited is when you hear that incessant drum beat that's often accompanied by a throbbing bass line. It's on the news. It's on the morning show. It's on commercials. The guy selling you a mattress, instead of having a peaceful, restful background music, he has this anxiety-ridden drumbeat throughout his ad. It's everywhere. We should start a movement. It's probably too late for the laugh track, but let's start a movement to ban the beat. We, here at WFHB, have a cure for all of this. Tune in to your local volunteer-powered community radio station, WFHB, and especially to the Brown County Hour. But, warning, there are some side effects. The enjoyment of the music is phenomenal. The interviews and news content are superb. You may experience an honest chuckle from the heart, or a slight smile from a poem or a story. Some intelligent thought patterns have a tendency to reoccur. And caution, you may experience slight elevations of endorphins, dopamine, and serotonin. This is a serious matter. If you listen to WFHB, please, please listen responsibly. We love what we're doing as volunteers, and we love the fact that you're listening. Give us a hand and chip in. 812-323-1200 or wfhb.org. Thanks. Without you, we wouldn't be here. The leaves are down and the nights are long. The naked forest stands in sharp contrast to the clear, cold sky, and the contours of the land are visible once again. Many of us have put up enough firewood for the season, and now we're waiting for the serious weather to come in. The holidays are the gateway to winter, and it only makes sense to celebrate before we're deep in the heart of it waiting for spring. Brown County is a great place to be during the holiday season. There are musical events, church services, family gathering, and non-compliant celebrations. This is the joy of living in a diverse and creative community. I think the holidays have always held a special place in the hearts of Brown County folks. 
For the better part of our history, this has been a place of hard, scrabble existence. A generation or two ago, there was no easy way to get by. Everything came as a result of community effort and hard work. If you didn't grow it, hunt it, or make it yourself, it simply didn't exist. Babies were born at home, and most folks met their maker in the same house they spent their lives in. Several generations lived under one roof, and everyone pulled together to provide the essentials. It was during the holidays when a little bit of extra was shared and appreciated. From the perspective of the 21st century, it would be easy to assume that our predecessors had a rough and miserable existence. From this distance, it would appear that their lives were only about work and survival. I would propose that this is only part of the story. Brown County was settled by folks who migrated here to find affordable land and independence. Several of the early settlers were veterans of the American Revolution. They fought a war to establish their freedom, and they came to our county to keep it that way. The forests were a source for just about everything a family needed. The water was clear, there was plenty of game, and there was land free for the homesteading. All you needed to make it here was the desire and the willingness to work for it. What these old timers may have lacked in material possessions, they made up for by being free. This is a word whose meaning has undergone many changes, especially in recent times. The freedom they experienced was not about which store to shop in or what to wear that day. It was the freedom to choose how they spent their time. To be sure, they had certain confines that limited their choice, but there was no one standing over their shoulder telling them what to do or when to do it. The attitude of independence is still part of our culture. I think it's safe to say no one moves to Brown County to become a conformist. We leave that for other folks. The difference between a conservative and a liberal isn't evident in how we live or what we wear. You're just as likely to be fishing next to someone you disagree with as not. And none of that matters if the fish are biting. I've often heard from local elders, we were poor, but we didn't know it. In a way, this is also freedom, best understood as freedom from comparison. Without TV or glossy magazines depicting the life of perceived privilege and abundance, you could be forgiven if you thought you had a good life. And actually, without someone telling you otherwise, it was a good life. I can picture a family making Christmas dinner in, let's say, 1840. Two or three generations are hunkered down in the hand-hewn cabin. They finish just in time for the weather to turn. The family is warm and dry, and there's plenty of space for everyone to make a pallet on the floor. The men and boys were successful in their hunt, and a nice venison haunch is slowly roasting in the fireplace. The women are baking cornbread in the Dutch oven, and the little ones are wide-eyed with excitement. This fictitious family was fortunate to have a larder full of apples and hard cider that they brought with them from Ohio. Each child is given their own apple while the adults enjoyed the applejack. After a while, Grandpa took out the fiddle and one of the uncles added a homemade banjo. Before long, everyone was singing. When the spirit moved them, Ma and Pa stood up and danced to a waltz. And the children laughed at the sight, never imagining their parents carrying on in such a fashion. Sharing the light from a tallow candle, they joined hands and gave thanks for the wonders and abundance of their new home. The venison was carved, and there was plenty for everyone, even the dogs who were by the fire with the family. One of the daughters took some hay out to the horses, who were comfortable in the lean-to shed, and wished them Merry Christmas as each one received their holiday meal. 
Before they all turned in, one of the older boys brought in enough firewood to last the night. As he banked the coals and added a few pieces of wood, he said good night to the family. Warm in their beds, with thankfully full bellies, everyone said good night in turn. They may have said it then, and I'll say it now. Peace on earth and goodwill to all humankind. From each of us here at the Brown County Hour, we wish you a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. You know, I mean, this is, you guys are sprinkling a little Christmas flavor on our show. What can I say? We're sprinklers. Well, in my family, it was Ludafisk, and there's, oh. there's nothing Christmas about that. No. It was what? Ludafisk. That's ludicrous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't it know is. what that is, so it's I'll go look it up. Soaked in lye. Soaked in lye. Yeah. It's a it's a traditional uh, Scandinavian dish that poor people ate to survive the cold winters because once you soak your cod or your whitefish in lye, the rats won't eat it, oh. and you can store it on a shelf. Oh. Then you boil it, changing the water three times, and what you end up with is flavorless fish glop. And then it's kind of up to the cook as to what other ingredients you might have to kind of liven it up a little bit. It's interesting that it's fish soaked in lye because normally my holidays are soaked in lies. <laughs> but that's just my family. <laughs> that's just his family. Well, yeah, family dynamic in Christmas. There you go. City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. Shepherd.
thanks for tuning in to episode 45 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville, and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. This show was produced by Jeff Foster, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Carrie Ray, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You've been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.